Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about Donald Trump's religious commitments. These things are solved. Yeah, I uh, read and it's been widely reported that some uh, sometime in the recent past or recent uh, near, well, I'm saying that wrong. Uh, recently, how about that? Let me say it the easiest way. Recently, he was led to Christ by a Christian businessman, I believe it was yet to be named. Is that correct? Yeah, it was reported. By the way, I love that, like, this is like the Godfather. Every time we try to leave, they pull us back in. <laughs> How many right. times have we said we would we were done on Trump coverage? And it's not. He can't. You, you can't. He's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. So apparently, I read it, I think, in the time New York Times from James Dobson's perspective. But. Yeah, James Dobson's the one who's being widely quoted. I, I don't remember the first place I read it, but it's all it's all over the place. And it, it's interesting, the timing of it. You had last week his evangelical advising team was named. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, uh, this story broke that sometime recently he was uh, he sent, he prayed the sinner's prayer. Which is good. By the way, uh Two things. First, I, the first time I went to Colorado Springs, I remember seeing like twenty uh, uh, cars with the bumper sticker "Focus on your own damn family." <laughs> yeah. And uh, can you just um, can you uh, verify or not? Like, so Dave Gushy turned down a spot on the uh, on the no, advisory he just, team. Uh, he just announced that he was not included on his Facebook page. I like that. So we're thankful that Dave Gushy is not on that group of advisors. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The things that we want to say that we often don't. People sometimes say we say too much. but Sometimes we do. Yes, we do say too much. But, <clears throat> well, first of all, I think that there's a couple things uh, – my initial reaction is that it's not mine to judge whether or not he was converted or not. And if he actually did uh, make some sort of profession of faith and and actually admit that he was a sinner in need of grace, then God bless him. That's a good thing. And his conversion is huge in the history of Christianity. <laughs> I mean, we, we're building Trump Cathedral. We're going to worship our Lord and Savior and more glitz and glamour and glory. And we're going to say Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah, the interesting thing is it, it doesn't really change what he has said, and it doesn't really change the fact that he is a total wild card as to what he might do as president. So, uh, again, it's been interesting to me the kind of um, soapbox critique of this event that's that's happened on social media. And, and uh, it's funny, a lot of Christians who basically say, you know, don't want— uh, a judgmental Christianity have immediately jumped to the judgmental conclusions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About oh yeah, this. oh yeah, yeah. 
And, and I guess part of it is, I mean, it is hard not to be cynical about it, timing. Uh, you know, given what he's been through the last three weeks, he certainly does need Jesus. <laughs> he needs, Who doesn't? He, yeah. he needs some guidance. I, I just think it's, it's, to me, this whole kind of evangelical, at least a certain aspect of the evangelical movement, uh, going to bed with politics and this mixture. Again, I, I, my faith influences my politics, so I'm not against that. But there's a kind of cynicism. For instance, Ronald Reagan's a great example. All, you know, Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, a lot of them, you know, made him out to be an evangelical. Ronald Reagan never claimed to be an evangelical. He, he, he wasn't. I mean, uh, and didn't he say to, like, one of his early meetings with evangelicals, he said, look, I know you can't endorse me, but I can endorse you. Right. But he, I mean, for him, that was part of the whole God and country and country club kind of, uh, uh, you know, ethos. And again, I'm not, Judging Ronald Reagan, what I am judging are the way I think he was manipulated by certain aspects of religious right and presented as the, you know, really the Christian candidate when he defeated somebody who was probably the closest to a card-carrying evangelical we've actually had in the White House, Jimmy Carter. Yeah. So, by the way, our, our good friend and fan and sometimes troll Steve Lipples, if you're out there and listening— we would welcome your feedback on this story. Yeah, Steve Lipples, who does not think I've been converted. Well, I mean, Bill, he's not the first. I mean, that's, right. not, I mean, that's, not, I mean, that's not an exclusive crowd. I mean, <laughs> right, but my, I, uh, I've, got pretty, I've got a pretty strong evangelical You have pedigree. pedigree. You I have do have pedigree. pedigree. And, you know, the interesting thing about it, that's partially why, um, you know, I, I have not held back on my critique of, of Donald Trump. Um, I'm I'm very leery of those around him, those evangelicals around him, but I I don't want to immediately critique his actually maybe uh coming to faith and uh he did not announce this. So that's the other interesting thing. The, it was these evangelical leaders who have aligned themselves with him that announced this. What a tangled web we weave. Okay, but we and I actually talked about as we uh, earlier today, we were musing on what to converse about, and actually, we talked about whether or not. Again, you know, no one you know knows it, it, the inner religious dynamics of anybody, but it is interesting anytime someone has an adult conversion, whether it's religious or political or ideological. Right. Uh, you know, like you like you think of someone like Charles Krauthammer, right? Who's right a, a, a prominent conservative you know, pundit, you know, center-right kind of guy who spent most of the 60s and the 70s as a man of the left and right. eventually became a kind of neocon and, you know, now is a regular Fox News contributor. And, you know, these are – I'm always fascinated, like, when somebody has a real uh, conversion, especially when you can see it and it changes their social reality, it changes – Kind of, you know, how they move and right. you know, about in the world. Well, certainly Newhouse. You think of the first things people Newhouse, yep. Tom Oden, uh, a number of folks like that. Uh, James Loader, uh, uh, who a uh, blessed memory, uh, a very influential professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. These were all people who had fairly dramatic shifts in their thinking. Some of it religious, some of it both religious and political. Late in life, you know, I, I, I'm thinking particularly in the context of of this political world, and in certain parts of the country, 
it doesn't matter whether or not you're religiously affiliated or not, but there are still parts where this plays. I remember the first uh, job I had out of seminary was at First Presbyterian Church, Midland, Texas. And you could always tell when someone was getting ready to run for office because they started showing up more regularly at worship. As a matter of fact, I, this was before I got there, but allegedly somebody was campaigning to be elected an elder uh, at the church in order that they could put that on their political resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this scene in uh, Oliver Stone's W where like George W. Bush loses like his first like congressional debate and says, like, ain't no one going to out-Texas me or out-Christian me again. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah, I mean, there is a... There yeah. is this, all right, so here's... I want to field test an idea with you. Okay? All right. That I think that people come to a, at least religious faith, right? And maybe mm. we could, that maybe the, this holds true for political or philosophical or ideological changes. But I think that people that I know that have adult faith, I generally can see four categories, right? right. The first adult faith is uh, evolution. Now, they might not believe everything their parents or their family or their synagogue or church, uh, you know, or whatever tradition they're in. But, you know, you see a little more continuity than discontinuity. They sort of eat, eat in the fish. They spit out the bones. And, you know, they don't have an antagonistic relationship to the tradition they came from, even though they probably don't adhere to it in exactly the same way that their, you know, foreparents did. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people like that in my in my ministry who were I remember this one situation. I had this big Sunday school class in Texas, and a lot of people came there, and not all of them were, you know, people that were convinced that faith was true. And I remember this guy stopping into my office, and um, for some reason, he had come to a, a Bible study or something I did, and I knew he was an atheist, but his wife was devout, and he came on a fairly regular basis. Uh, matter of fact, in Texas, atheists probably go to church more than, than a lot of uh, adherents up here in the Northeast. But at any rate, uh, I remember him stopping into my office um, unannounced. He walked in, and his brother-in-law had just been murdered. Mm. And he was in shock. And so he was, you know, I was kind of talking to him before he flew there. Uh, and he looked up at me and goes, I'm not an atheist anymore. Mm. And just walked out. And, you know, there's I've had kind of... an a number of those circumstances, whether people were, they were close, you know, or on the fence, or maybe had been, uh, you know, young in their life. Um, you know, I had another prominent lawyer who had just had a wreck of a, of a personal life. And, you know, he was pretty notorious in the community and, you know, had, had rejected the extreme fundamentalism of his childhood. But he came into my office and said, I want to be baptized and I want to be baptized by immersion. And I, I still remember that. We had to go over to the Baptist church to do it. And a whole bunch of his colleagues came in just to watch us because they couldn't believe it happened. But there's someone, you know, you don't, it's kind of like that, the parable where the seed, it's, you know, you don't see it growing. So I think there are a lot of people like that. Yeah, I think that there are a lot, yeah, I think tons of people. I think the second category is people for whom adult faith is revolution. Yes. And most of the people I know, that have the story grew up very conservative, uh, you know, like Rachel Hel Held Evans would, you know, is a prominent blogger and author probably right. would identify this way. I have a lot of friends that they grew up very conservative. And so it, like for them to keep adult faith 
it, it wasn't enough to evolve. They had there, there had to be revolution. There had to be revolt, a no to a lot of things. And it was fair, it, you know, something that generally happens dramatically. Although you do see it sometimes from the from left of center too. But I mean, more in, at least in religious circles, in my own experience, anecdotally, it's generally a little more right of center. Then my third category would be people who uh, who are raised nominally, like with just enough religion to inoculate them against it. You, you know that uh, right. you know you you know if well if we went to church, that's the one we would have gone to, like right, you know right. that kind of thing. And then for whom uh, like um, the and the, and the la- last category is likened onto it people who are not post-Christian or post-Jewish, they're pre-Christian or pre-religious. And, and they generally come from, you know, non-observance, no formation of tradition, and are real converts to a totally new thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember having a, a person who was going to join a church, and I always, uh, the, one of my associates usually did the class. I always met with people uh, individually beforehand. And uh, I sat down with this person and I said, okay, I just, you know, want to tell you what we're going to, you know, the questions. And he said, oh, I love the church, you know, love the faith. And uh, and I go, well, we, you know, we want you to, you know, we, you need to profess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And she goes, I love Jesus. I love Buddha. I love Muhammad. You know, she went through all the lists. I go, well, we got to back this up a little bit. But there was someone who's, I think you're there, you had no background and they had this kind of enlightening experience, and they were drawn to the faith, but they didn't have they they didn't they didn't really know enough to know that there was something different going on. It there. would have, for that person. It's probably coming to faith, in, you know, in Christ is probably a lot more like hat tip to Fitch, our good friend Dave Fitch, the pre-Constantinian experience. <laughs> but you know, like when 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 you're actually spreading the faith to you know, a Greco-Roman world where the story of Israel and Jesus is just pretty foreign, you know, relative to the religious mythology that's circulating around. So, I mean, that's kind of, it's almost like you need to do like, uh, you need to put all this, all these building blocks in places in, you know, in place so that they can indwell this story. Yeah. I uh, had uh, one of my son's bandmates in college, a great guy, and totally secular Jewish upbringing, no no religious background whatsoever. And he was stopping by at the house one time. He goes, uh, Reverend Bork, can, can I ask you about this these Jews for Jesus thing? And I I, and I go, well, you know, he says because what, I just want you to know that I mean I've read a little bit about Jesus, and I like him, and I'm a Jew, so I. I'm thinking maybe should I join this Jew for Jesus because it, it sounds like you know we should be we should be supporting this Jesus person. Now, you know there was so many different things, and it was a fascinating conversation. But this is a guy who grew up in a you know a well-to-do uh, New Jersey community, totally earnest in that conversation, and because uh, he decided that he might be a Jew for Jesus too because he he liked that Jesus guy. Well, Jesus is very popular. The church, not always, but Jesus generally uh, is uh, does well in public opinion polls. So I think, like, I heard Tim Keller give a talk at Google. Uh, I guess, like, Google lets their employees, like, invite mm. authors that are in Google Books. And he did, wrote this book called The Reason for God. And he was invited to talk about it. And he said, like, you know, in his experience, when people come to belief – 
there's, you know, have a major kind of belief change. It's, there's three reasons that it happens. One is intellectual, like, uh, there's like plausibility structure, you know, like basically all of us have things which we think just, I can't deal with that. Like I can't think about the world right. and, in, and indwell it and, and believe X or Y. And then sometimes our plausibility structure, our filter changes. So the second thing is existential. Like, and that's, he said, that's why, you know, all the new atheists say that, you know, evil is the definitive thing, you know, with the problem of belief in God. He said, but, you know, in my experience as a pastor, I've seen evil and suffering bring peop- as many people to faith. Oh, absolutely. As turned from, from the Absolutely, faith. yeah. And he said the third thing is like what sociologists of knowledge have taught us, that like basically we tend to become uh, more like intellectually, you know, spiritually, ideologically, more like the people we admire. So people say, well, you know, if you were born in Tibet, Keller, you, you, you know, you wouldn't be a Christian. And, and, and I say back, you know, he would say like, yeah, if you were born in Madagascar, you probably wouldn't be an atheist, but we can't reduce the claims right, to that. Right. But there are certain sociological. So like, yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting, right? Because when oftentimes when people have a conversion, whether it's religious or political or ideological, it, there's a confluence of factors that, you know, like you really have to, you get a hold on, I would guess, to, to right. understand like why it happens. Yeah, and and I think that um, y- you know um, most religions have a missionary component to them. Uh, now, Judaism, for a lot of different reasons, you know, somewhere, you know, it became well. First of all, it became illegal in the fourth century, late fourth century, or fifth century for them to proselytize, and just survival was another. But there's even a rethinking of that in certain Jewish circles about the idea of of sharing the faith and and in the early centuries of Christianity and Judaism were competing proselytizing religions as part of the early animosity towards them. Certainly, Islam is a proselytizing religion, um, and I, I would argue certain kind of certain forms of Buddhism are too. At least oh, yeah. they're, they're yeah. out there presenting themselves. So, on one level, all of our if we have a faith commitment. Um, there is a sense where, you know, our yes was because this is what we thought, you know, we thought this is what was true. This was what was right. This was what was good. And regardless of how universalist you are, <laughs> there's still this particular claim. And, uh, you know, it's, it's for me sometimes the funny thing about the Dalai Lama, who I think sometimes is intellectually dishonest because, <laughs> because he acts like everything he, and he is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to trash the Dalai Lama, but if you listen carefully to his language. That almost became a borism. Like, I could almost tra- like, I was like, 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 please trash the Dalai Lama. Trash the Dalai Lama. <laughs> I could say, you know. Um, but he is presenting his faith as the right way. Yeah, he'll be generous to others, but if you listen to the nuance, he thinks he's right, and uh, he should think he's right. Or you would be bad to be the Dalai Lama. And go, geez, I'm just not sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that like you know, Stanley Harawas says that you know, real vibrant spiritual traditions, you don't choose them; they choose you. And I think something about the power of of, of a great faith to compel it, you have to believe it's not just like that it's a better pizza flavor or well, topping. No. I mean, you, you have to kind of believe it's not just bringing a redemptive component to your story, but it, it's kind of a part of the redemptive dimension of the whole human story. Absolutely. I mean, I, I do agree with 
the late Diogenes Allen. The only good reason to be a Christian is because you think it's true. I'm I'm a Christian uh, by daily affirmation because I believe it's true, and I, I believe that Jesus is the revelation of God. So there's no other, there's no better reason for me to be a, a Christian. Uh, and I, I think you're right. I think I, I believe that uh, that. In some mysterious way, God's grace chose me. I didn't choose God. So that brings us back to to Donald Trump. I mean, to me, part of what uh, all roads all roads lead to Donald. I, you know, so I, I couldn't help but read some of the possibly some, possibly social media reports that you know we're not. I mean, uh, someone very famous who you may have mentioned earlier, who I'm not going to mention. You know, she said, "Where's the fruits? Where are the fruits?" <laughs> well, I, I mean, if the person's a new convert, uh, you know, uh, it may take a while. Matter of fact, I don't know that we want that judgment turned around on us. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit in each of our lives? I don't know that we want always to be judged that way. But I do think it'll the genuineness of his conversion, uh, though, which is ultimately only known by God, will be seen in how he talks about it. If he talks about it, uh, I can't help but contrast to uh, another political figure, a non-traditional politician who ended up being president of the United States, Dwight David Eisenhower. And Eisenhower came from a really kind of strange religious background. His family initially were some kind of Mennonite sect, a river brother, and then they got involved in the kind of proto-Jehovah Witness Messiah, they, they are big-time Messiah College, man. There's an Eisenhower. Yeah, I mean, the Eisenhower family is in the, is in the backdrop of the Anabaptist College I attended. Well, the Jehovah Witness, but they used to also have Jehovah Witness meetings in their house. His father had a Jehovah Witness uh, service. As a matter of fact, he, he uh, for the second inauguration, he put his hand on a Jehovah Witness Bible. Um but wow, Bill, I did not know that. Yeah, I, yeah. But what's interesting is that um, if you were going to convert for utilitarian purposes, I, I may have converted like June fourth or fifth, nineteen forty four, right before, yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> right before yeah. D Day. I mean, and he had his res- resignation letter signed because he he if this failed, he was ready to take all the blame for it. By the way, let me just let me just. Uh, Take a sidestep there. He was a leader who was willing to take all the blame for for D Day if it didn't work out, and he campaigned, was elected president. He was baptized and confirmed and joined um, the Presbyterian Church a week after he was inaugurated as president. So he didn't. He didn't. He you know another thing. If he was going to use it a political ploy, you know, I mean, this is the 1950s, so. Um, he didn't, but he didn't join a church during or before his campaign. It was after he'd taken on the the mantle, the weight of the office, that he, you know, he had his Christian, you know, his Christian conversion, uh, if you would. So I, I think that's an interesting thing. And again, whether or not you agree with it or not, he's the one who started the presidential prayer breakfast. You know, he's the one and got in God we trust put back on the money. And uh I mean one could be cynical about that, but the really Eisenhower didn't have anything to gain by doing any yeah, of that. And yeah. I think and you know, he attended church for the rest of his life and uh and and so I to me there's there's a kind of a really interesting adult conversion and it seems to me that he was driven to faith um uh, finally by the fact that uh, you would think World War Two would be bigger than him, but 
as a you know older man, he realized that what he was about to do was bigger than him, and it it, it drove him to an ultimate faith commitment. You know, I don't know if this is true about. I can only speak from like Christian experience, but I think that there's kind of different tenses of Christian faith, right? Like there's a sense in which there's a once for all dimension to it. Like you're, you're baptized once, right. you're justified once, you know, you know like you, in the book of Hebrews, it's, you know, Jesus doesn't have to be sacrificed again. You know, there's a right. the finality, but yet there is an again and again. Like there is right. a thing Absolutely. where you're constantly, you know, you, you don't, you don't ever outgrow the cross. <laughs> you don't ever outgrow right. the need for daily grace and, and mercy. And I think really, if there's a higher and deeper dimension, it comes from the 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 once for all being revisited again and again. So maybe we all uh, ought to be in some sort of gracious process of continuing conversion. Right. I mean, if you look at the tenses of save in the New Testament, I think being saved, you know, the kind of the act of part of, you know, the act of principle is is there a lot. A future tense of our salvation is there probably more than a past tense. But I do think, you know, on one level, uh, if someone asks you when you were saved, it's probably always appropriate to say around 30 AD. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, I think I agree with you also that uh, there was a point where I remember uh, as a child praying the prayer uh, of asking God to come into my life, of recommitting my life numerous times. And, you know, I, I uh, certainly am still in need of being saved, and I am being saved. And, uh, you know, I, I wish there were more fruits of that in my life. And I'm, I'm hoping by the grace of God to submit a little bit more each day and, and have some of that happen. So may ye and we be born again and again and again and again. Amen and amen. You have given everything to me. What can I do for you? You have given me eyes to see. What can I do for you? Hold me out of bondage. And you made me renewed inside. Filled up, filled up with hunger. But it always been denied. Open up a door that no man can shut, and you open it up so wide. And you chose me to be among the few. What can I do for you? You have. You've laid down your life for me. What can I do for you? You have. You have explained every mystery. What can I do for you? Soon as a man is born, you know the sparks begin to fly. Deliver him from the death he's 
Oh! 